All right, Annette, we are here. We are still here. (laughs) We are here in our unofficial recording studios, which in your case is a closet. And Mm -hmm. mine is a mic in my very echoey tiny house. But we are hoping that episode three is going to have a a new start in terms of our sound engineer on this podcast. Uh, Better and better. It gets better and better. Um, And we're going to talk about work stories today. So... So stories about how we move through our work now, maybe some stories from the past of how we had influenced maybe how we think about stress at work and how we manage stress at work Um, in the hopes that that will resonate with some folks out there who probably also experience stress and willing to bet in their work life. Just a little bit. Probably. Probably. I am going to tell the story that started it. The story. The story that started it off. Um, yeah, uh, let's go back in time. So I was, I don't know, six months pregnant, six months, months pregnant with Leo, which means it was a good five, six years ago. I'd probably been a flight attendant for about two years. And, uh, that day I had been pulled off another flight to be pull up, pushed onto this flight going to Calgary. I was working with three Vancouver flight attendants. One, uh, two of them were very senior. They've been flying for a really long time. And when I say senior, I do not mean old. I just meant they've been flying for a long time. Their seniority was high. Um, And we had a guest who came on. He sat at the back and he sparked the spidey senses of one of the flight attendants. And we are told to listen to our intuition and our spidey senses. It's one of our superpowers as a flight attendant. Kind of love that about our job where you're like, like they're like, listen to your intuition. You're like, actually listen to my gut. They're like, yep. Imagine so, if every job told people that. Right? Listen to your intuition. So it's like, you have to listen to your intuition, but then you have to have proof. So it's, it's like, if you think they're intoxicated, you get another person, bring them in, do a little sniff. And then you can, they can be removed from the flight. Anywho, so um, flight attendant, we're going to call her flight attendant two. Okay. So I was flight attendant four that day. She's flight attendant two. Flight attendant two is like, you know what? Dude in 29 Charlie, 29C is like, my, my, my spidey senses are going off. And I think the flight attendant one, so the person who was the lead, came to the back checked him out. I came and talked to him and we agreed something's up, but if we had established, we will not be serving him any alcohol. And he's like, no problem. I just want to sleep. And we're like, Oh, no friction. Right. No, no, like what, what, what? And we're like, okay, he seems harmless. He was also a very small, slight man. And we're like, okay, cool. During service, I, for whatever reason, go use the washroom after he had used the washroom. And I was like, damn, it smells like cigarette smoke. And so I tell, that's, you know, back in the day, you could smoke on an airplane. These days, you cannot. It is a little bit of a problem, um, slash a big problem. And so I went over to the man. I said, were you smoking in the bathroom? He said, no, 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 no. 
And I was like, mm, okay. Uh, I called the lead. I told her, and we're like, we're going to keep an eye on him. Couple, I would say between 15 to 20 minutes later, uh, again, he gets up from his seat, goes to the bathroom, comes back. And now a guest is like looking at me and does these, these like eyes, um, does the smoking cigarette sign and then like kind of like points to the guy behind him. And I was like, okay. I go into the washroom and there are this like the smear of soap hands on the wall. Like he'd been trying to mask the smell of the cigarette. So now we have this man smoking in the bathroom twice. Um, And here's the thing. Procedures are if you can't find a cigarette butt, like if you don't, if they didn't put it out on the ashtray. By the way, the reason airplanes have ashtrays is for instances like this. If he would have put the butt out in the ashtray, we would have, we could have kept on going. But we don't know where he put the butt. He probably flushed it down the toilet. Um, but if you can't find the butt, you really need to get the airplane on the ground. So the pilots are now um, doing a diversion and we're going to land in Regina. We get the man up. We start kind of like searching through his bag. We found the cigarettes. He's admitted to it. And we're like, okay, we're going to take away your privileges of using the bathroom. Well, I'm in the back with him. He is pouring himself. Oh, I poured him some um, orange juice because I could tell he was like, I don't know, out of it. He kind of looked a little drugged up. And then a guest comes to the back and says, you know, like, oh, if, if we're diverting, like, am I going to miss my flight? And I was like oh, you know, just go have your seat. Everything's going to be fine. And I had my back to him. And when I turned back around, he had pulled out a Mickey, which is, uh, I don't know what it is. It's not a liter of alcohol. It's like half a liter. I don't know how much it is. Pulled out this plastic flask of alcohol and was pouring it into his orange juice for a nice vodka and OJ. A screwdriver. <laughs> a little screwdriver. Moment. Is that a screwdriver? I think it's screwdriver. And... And I was like, oh, no, we can't do that. And we had this relationship with him where it was like he was trying to outsmart us, but we could tell that he wasn't all there. But he, you also felt really sorry for him. He had also shared that he was gay. He was going to visit, I think, his partner or something. Anyway, um, so as I'm seeing this bottle... I need to confiscate now this alcohol. Like this alcohol needs to be, we need to have it. He can't have it. So I have my hand on, on, on the alcohol and he starts sending the alcohol back down his pants where it came from. And my hand is on his hand, like going down. And I'm not even really realizing what's going on. The other flight attendant comes to the back. All she sees is this, like his hand on my hand going down his pants. And she was like, get off of her. She's pregnant. <laughs> you can't touch her. And poor her. I think that was part of the, the trauma for her. But um, so we realized, ah, this man's not only been smoking, he's been drinking his own alcohol. He can no longer stand up. He is like, we've he's sitting on the galley floor. We're holding him up. We're diverting. And um, I think the sad thing is one of the flight attendants did let him use the bathroom again. He smoked again. It was, it was just horrible. We're getting ready for landing. He can't sit up. So we have to sit him up uh, with a flight attendant sitting with him. So I'm in my jump seat alone. And I mean, that really is the extent of it. 
We landed. The cops came on. They had no mercy for this man. They just picked him up, dragged him out. And in that moment as well, as flight attendants and crew, we should have done what's called a stand down, right? We've diverted. We've been dealing with this like sort of weird dude that wouldn't stop smoking on the aircraft. Now, hindsight, I was like, knowing what I know, I would say automatic stand down. But what did we do? No, we, we all were like, we could do this. We operated to Calgary. And I noticed for my, for the position two, she was just missing stuff. Like she wasn't securing the galley and I, and I did it. I was there. And sometimes, you know, that's why you work as a crew, but it was that she was totally out of it. And in the days to come, I realized that two of these flight attendants, they were really, uh, we, we kept chatting and they could never, well, the one that worked at the back with me, she was off work for a year and a half because of, um, she suffered with PTSD and night terrors and all that stuff. And then the flight attendant who worked at the front, who actually wasn't really in it, she could never step on an aircraft again for some reason. And that scenario is what made me really fascinated in how can we take our how can we take care of ourselves before during and after to make sure that this doesn't happen yeah I was just thinking of like the concept of a stand down because I worked in like an industrial environment for most of my career like that is a thing that lots of safety critical industries do to stop and say okay we've reached a point we're like there could have, maybe something didn't even go wrong, but we could have made a mistake. Can we pause and regroup? Like, what do we need to go back to this thing safely, this job safely? Um, something that we can do on our own as well. Like, pause and say, all right, like, we need to take a beat here. Instead of just not acknowledging that anything has gone wrong or that anything has happened, pause and say, okay, this thing occurred. What do I need in this moment to feel safe right now? But also if I have to keep going, like you can't just opt out be like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get off the plane in Regina and just drive myself back home. <laughs> I've had quite enough of people for today. Um, you have to keep going. You don't have the options, a whole plane of people looking at you who are probably also shaken up and like want to get home, um, which is often in life. Maybe it's not a plane, but it's like some version, our version of that. How do we continue? What do we need to stay safe like <laughs> while we're doing this thing, what do we need so that we can actually get through this and get to the point where we can like uh, relax and truly regroup. But often we don't do that, especially when you're like in a stressful situation, you're almost moving faster. And like, it actually takes conscious effort to be like, no, let's slow ourselves down and yeah. take a minute to say like, are we actually safe? Do we have all the things we need? Can we proceed with doing this thing? Mm-hmm. 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 The company I worked for changed an acronym, I don't know how many years ago, um, and it used to, it, we used to say OTP, on-time performance, OTP, and we change it to SPOT, safely performing on-time. Mm. And it's, it's about that. For the Regina thing, I honestly think we should have done a stand-down. They could, they could fly in another crew. They could have flew in another crew. No problem. That aircraft could have been up in like two hours. You know, it would have been a two-hour delay. And that might have meant that the two flight attendants whose lives were changed slash their jobs were over, um, they could have closed the stress cycle. 
I think what happened for them is that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not diagnosing at all, but my guess is that they, they stayed up in that hyper sort of hyperactive situation and they never came down because we had to keep working after that. Or maybe it wasn't that she was like, I remember she talked to the police. She gave her statement, like P2, this position too, gave her statement to the police, da, 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 and then came back aboard. was like, no, I can do this. I can do this. And maybe that's where we were like, we're going to actually take another half an hour and, and, and then we're going to go, you know, versus like, yeah, let's go, let's go. Like you were talking about. Yeah. It's amazing. Cause it's like, that's a scary story, but how often has that happened in your career? Like they might've come back after that and had an uneventful flying career after, but because of that incident and not having the tools to go back to work and feel safe, you're just going to keep kind of staying in that cycle until you can unspool it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for the feedback on that. That's such a, such a wild story. Oh, gee. So the funny, so for me, I have never had anyone um, smoking and drinking in my workplace to my knowledge <laughs> that I had to deal with. Like what I think about, so that to me is like, acute acute incidents of maybe stress safety issues um that can cause us to then like not be able to go back to work and do it i for me like i can't actually remember a single incident of stress it's more like for many years i was just not completing the stress cycle and like just like shoving things under the rug. And then eventually the rug was like, it was very obvious. There was like a bunch of shit under there. Um, and then eventually I had to deal with it because there was just so many little, little your moments. your face was starting to go into paralysis. Yes. So like little moments that eventually got to the point, kind of when we started working together, where I was like, you know, like I, I like, I actually like, I like my job, really like what I do. I'm enjoying what I do every day. It's not that I don't like it. Um, cause I, of course, naively thought that burnout was for people who like didn't like their job or something, um, which is not true. <laughs> Just to spill that myth. Yeah, you could love what you do and still be burnt out. Um, but like, I'm like, oh, I'm getting all these weird physical symptoms. I was feeling, of course, really tired. Sometimes I'd feel really not tired and not be able to sleep. Um, I was starting to get like, well, a really intense migraines. So I've always suffered with migraines, but then ended up like have, being hospitalized several times to deal with the level like cluster migraines that were happening from tension headaches plus the migraines that I have naturally since I was a kid. Um, and then would, you know, like my face started getting paralyzed. I think part of the tension headaches, it was like the tension headaches and that kind of partial, what I was reading as facial paralysis where I couldn't really like smile um, was from the cluster headaches. And eventually I was like, you know, at some point I might have to deal with this stress that I've been kind of just breezing past and thinking, you know, if I ignore it, maybe it will get better. I think my, that was my real, like, uh, I need to do something about this. Wasn't one thing in particular. It was like the 1 million things that had piled up. And I was like, I guess I might need to kind of deal with all of this at some point. Um, and how we started to unpack that was really by like starting to complete the stress cycles as they were happening, as you're saying, like, what is that like my personal stand down moment? Like I need to take a step back, take the rug and like throw it back and be like, what is here that I need to sort through? But also like 
what do I just start doing on a daily basis that helps me complete the stress cycle? Whether that was like, because I was like, well, I take, I'm taking bubble baths and I'm going to yoga retreats and then I feel great at the yoga retreat or on my vacation. And then I come back and I'm like going 120 again through life and not actually taking any time to pause. Um, so it was learning how to, um, I steal this from Asia Nelson, who was my yoga teacher, but being a dial instead of a flip switch was kind of my learning. How do I dial my effort? Do I have to be doing 120 through life or could I be doing 10 in some cases? How mm. could I gently complete the stress cycle and maybe like wind myself down a little bit through, for me, it was physical movement. It was doing yoga. It was getting on a mat. It was just lying down. Um, for me, it was like, how do I bring it into that every single day? Because mine was not one single event. It was like years of events that had been not dealt with. And then mm -hmm. figuring out how do I start to navigate my day so I'm not adding more things under the rug um, mm -hmm. that's contributing to how I'm feeling. So mine was like a slow, it's a slow burn. It wasn't really like, there's nothing dramatic. I don't remember a real specific moment or event mm -hmm. that triggered stress because it was just like these small things over time that like started to be debilitating and like we're shutting, it was shutting my body down. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I remember one session early on where you had another HR person who was helping you out. Maybe it was an assistant or something. And it, it was like this simple, like, do you think she could do that? <laughs> there were like a bunch of tasks that you delegated. And then I remember you came back and you're like, she said, yes. It was like, she could do like, like I could take these things off my plate. And I was like, yeah, but I feel like you were so stressed out that seeing this and also not doing all the things wasn't even an option for you. Right. Oh, it's like, you, no, no, I have to function at 120. I was like, there's only, there's only like, that's my option. And there's minus two. On or off, on or off. And like, I'm just light switching myself through life, not realizing there were so many other options. Like I was seeing it through such a, a lens. Like I have to do all the things. If I don't do all the things, like my personal story is that I'm not worthy. If I can't do it all, that I'm not worthy of love anymore. I will not be a success in life. Um, I will be a failure. There's all kinds of things in there that, you know, I've unpacked over the years, but my fundamental worthiness is, has been attached to my busyness in life. Mm -hmm. And so because I was driven by that, I could not see any other options of like, could I delegate something? Could I just not do something at all? end of sentence. Could I say no to things? Could I set better boundaries around my time? All of those things were not options that were available to me when I was in the throes of like, I need to do all the things or I'm not worthy because my worthiness was attached to that business and burnout. It was a sign of honor to be burnt mm -hmm. out. And I think that's not just for me. I think that's our culture in general. There are for for many reasons, there are many different things our society kind of pushes on us about being busy. That that is a sign of your worthiness that you are somebody in this world because you're like I can't fit anything else in or whatever. Like when I say I said so the other day, I'm like oh yeah, like I've I've been pretty busy. Like good. I was like actually I don't aspire to be busy. No, yeah. Like, but when you a say that, blip this is a this is like, my day is full and it's not anymore. I have to actively work to make it that I am, do not aspire to be busy anymore. But mm -hmm. did I used to? Yes, very much. That was how I felt like I was worthwhile in this world by being busy. Mm -hmm. And where do you, 
Where do you grab your value from now? I don't have to do anything. I think that's like something that I'm working on. It's a work in progress, but like, I don't need to do anything. If I want to sit and do nothing all day and watch Outlander, which I just discovered and I'm enjoying very much, then I'm going to watch Outlander and just be because I don't have to do anything to earn my rest. I don't have to do anything to earn love or affection from other people or worthiness because that's something I inherently have and I can move through the world belonging and being worthy and deserving of rest. Do I feel like that all the time? No, there is definitely still that voice in the back of my head. Uh, a few theories on who that voice belongs to, but not for this podcast. Um, but telling me that like, you need to get up, you need to move, like you need to be doing something. And of course I have to like meet that with compassion and curiosity, but I in my conscious mind, in my wisest self, I know that I don't need to run through life. I don't need to speed <laughs> through life to earn anything. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, amazing. So do you want to get into just like what we do during our days to... Sure. Okay. Um, so what we personally do as an example um, to kind of take the things we know from Backbone and our methodology there and bring that out of the workshop and into day-to-day life. For me, a very practical example is just how I actually planned my day. So my day is mostly at a desk. It's primarily on Zoom calls all day long um, in my 360 square foot home. So how I approach just managing my energy is like actually planning out my week. So I make a plan at the beginning of the week, kind of set some intentions for how I want to live into my values, how I want to manage my energy throughout the week. And then every single day I sit down, it's no more than five minutes and plan out what I have the energy and resources to do that specific day. So some days I can get a lot done. Other days I, for whatever reason, do not have as much energy and can't get as much done um, and have to use my energy to recuperate and rest. So I will plan out what I can manage. And then I also actually mark off how much time I want to take to do that. So I can actually give the energy that I have, not a plus on everything. Some things are going to be like a C minus level of effort, because that's what I have to give during that day to get that task done. Um, And it also tells me like how certain things affect my mood, how certain meetings and things that I'm moving through um, impact me so I can better manage that the next day, the next week that I have to encounter that task. Um, And I also kind of try to meet things with curiosity. So it's not a judgment when I can't do something, I don't have the energy. I will, at the end of the day, kind of reflect on, okay, what did I learn from this? What did I need to do to move through that day and feel like just I've done enough and I feel good about where I'm at. Um, Or sometimes I feel like shit and that's okay. (laughs) Uh, But just pay attention to what happened that made me feel that way. So I can just better plan and prepare for the next time that thing is coming and going to move through my life. So I think for me, it's like planning, being gentle with myself and then using curiosity to kind of interrogate like what was easy for me, what felt like really energizing, what felt draining. Um, And then I use that information to kind of continue to plan uh, my energy and resources. So I'm only giving what I have to give in that day. And I know that there's like a little nugget in there for other folks who may struggle with um, ADHD or staying focused, um, where you write down your list of things and then you actually write down a a time limit, right? Mm -hmm. Of like Mm -hmm. how much you think that thing is going to take you. And then there's one more step after that. It's like, yeah, I actually write down how long it did take. So like two things, if you were really like data nerd and you like knowing how long something precisely takes you, then you can plan your day 
better because you know exactly how much time, um, or if you work for yourself, you're a consultant, you know how much time each task is going to take and what you can reasonably take on. Um, the other piece is I'm paying attention to how easily I'm distracted when I'm doing those things. So, um, how many interruptions came through or was this really easy for me to stay focused? Often it's things that I really like doing that it's a lot easier for me to stay focused and get it done really fast. The stuff I don't like, for example, like QuickBooks, it takes me longer than I ever anticipated. Like this will take 30 minutes, an hour and a half later, I'm still struggling with the same thing. Um, so that's just an example of like paying attention to how much time it actually takes me to move through it for me, not for other people, not how much other people say it should take it takes me the amount of time it takes because we are all beautifully diverse, wonderful creatures and our brains work in different ways. And I love that because you are setting your future self up for success in knowing, ah, when I say QuickBooks is going to take me 30 minutes, now you know QuickBooks is going to take me an hour and a half and it's going to burn me the flippity flop out. So right. Me scheduling something right. after it that's nurturing and like, a sweet something for the soul. Yeah. And something's going to crank me up. That. And like afterwards, I know I'm like, I'm going to go on a Peloton, like hardcore EDM ride and like just work through this energy that I have other times. QuickBooks, I'm going to lie down on the ground and be gentle with myself and not beat myself up for not being good at doing books because mm-hmm. I'm just not a bookkeeper. It's not my, it's not my journey in life. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Oh, so cool. Okay, so what about you? Um, So for me, uh, as a flight attendant, my job is very uh, customer-facing. It's in a tiny little space for a long, long amount of time. My days are usually at least 10 hours. They're at least 10 hours long. So the preparation uh, before and after is important, depending on what happens during the flight. The after can become more important. Um, but, but generally before I start a pairing, so whether it's a one day or I'm gone for a bunch of days, it starts in my car and it starts when I get to the airport. I leave myself, I try to leave myself a good amount of time so that there's never this feeling of rush. I am eating my words because last week I was late. And when you are late, it is a big deal. Um, Anyways, that was just my little confession. <laughs> but usually I get to the uh, the airport an hour before I'm supposed to even check in. And I sit in my car. And if you've watched the Instagram, <laughs> you know I am there giving myself a hug, talking very gently and kindly to myself and taking a moment to figure out what is my capacity for the day? Fantastic question. Am I filled with energy and enthusiasm and where am I in my cycle? Like, am I Mm. excited or whatever? I had a great sleep or am I tired? I'm grumpy. Um, I don't have a lot of capacity. So I check in, where am I? And then I usually go in with just a word for myself. Like, no matter what, you've got everything that you need to get through this day. And I kind of, I take that word with me because as we know on airplanes, a lot of different things can happen and I want to be prepared for the worst, but I also want to be calm and grounded. And so that has become my really simple thing that's sustainable. And I really enjoy doing it uh, to start my day. 
Now, get me on the plane. Maybe nothing bad happens. Maybe it's a perfect day. Um, And when I say nothing bad, I mostly mean a medical. Medicals are the most common thing that could kind of really, that for the most part, like really interrupt you, your nervous system, um, and kind of can throw us for a loop. There are other things as well, but they're the most common. So let's say no medicals have happened, but let's say some human being is being unkind and is in their own little poo storm of whatever. And um, I need to get that energy off me so that I can continue on my way without getting stuck and feeling whatever they were feeling and, and putting on me. I learned a fantastic, uh, it, it was from a friend's sister who was uh, taking a Reiki course. And I'm not going to stand up because you'll lose me in here, but it's a really simple little exercise. Do you want to do it with me, Ashley? Yeah, I will. So we're, we just brush down one arm, brush down the other arm, cross the body from the shoulder to the hip, and then the other side, shoulder to the hip, and then you just brush it off of you. And I've been trying to teach that to flight attendants. Um, sometimes it just becomes like a big joke when we get to the back <laughs> alley. We're like, hur, 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 hur. but there's something that's physical. So it, it does feel like you're like, thank you, sir. But I'm going to just send that back to you. I will not be keeping that. Um, and then one other thing that I do once the day starts rolling and I can kind of get a feel for what kind of flight it's going to be, what state I'm in is I do some pretty, pretty good visualization. And I'm not sure how this is going to land, whether I'm going to sound wild or not, but I will sometimes if needed, I will visualize different things around me. So let's say, um, people are coming boarding and if I'm the lead, I'm standing there and I'm like, good morning, welcome aboard. Good morning. Welcome aboard. And let's say there's a whole bunch of connectors that came in from Calgary. They came in off the red eye and I don't know, maybe they don't know that their luggage is going to make it. And all of a sudden there's like this negative, like, good morning. How are you? I'm maybe taking them to their hot destination, which is fun, but they are crusty AF and they are not necessarily being kind. So then I have to like, whew, okay, how am I going to protect me? I'm going to think, mm, you know what, maybe I'm inside of a giant um, walnut shell. Okay. So I'm like, woof, I'm in a shell. Y'all can't touch me. I have other wild visualizations, but that is another one of my tools. Okay. Now let's go to the end of the day. To be honest, if nothing um, bad has happened, if no one's had a medical and it's been a beautiful day, I will literally get back in my car or cuddle myself into my hotel room, watch a little something, read a book, go to sleep. I don't necessarily have a huge after routine. Now, if something has gone awry or amiss, I absolutely am pretty... I, I start getting my list of, okay, now how are we going to take care of ourselves? Because something has happened. Your ner- nervous system has been majorly activated and you're going to need to, if you haven't already, close that stress cycle. We're going to be talking about 
um, Emily Nagoski, Emily Nagoski's book, Burnout and the Stress Cycle in our workshop. So you're going to learn more about that. But there is this point where it's really important for us after we get super activated is to then like close the book. We need to close the stress cycle. And for me, sometimes it's going up into the flight deck and crying, going into the lab and crying, hugging a coworker to feel safe. And then I take that off the plane, this, this feeling or this needing or this desire to feel safe and to feel nourished. And I drive myself to McDonald's and I usually get a McFlurry, Oreo with caramel, a hamburger and some fries. And it is just the way that I soothe myself. And then after that, and I know uh, bubble baths or whatever is, is not it for a lot of people, but submerging myself in water and cleaning off, because I don't usually shower at night, I usually shower in the morning, but after a medical, I will take myself to McDonald's and then take a bath. Always. It doesn't matter if it's two o'clock in the morning. I am running that water. I'm putting the Epsom salts in there and I am getting off the trauma of what has happened. The other thing I do, and last little tip for me, is my uniform. As I take my uniform off, I'm very cognizant that this uniform holds whatever had happened and I'm now taking it off. So it's not it's not in me, it's in the uniform and I'm taking it off. Amazing. And that, even if it's on the plane where you can't escape, you could take a lot of that with you, even if you're in an office dealing with people. Um, like I think of plexiglass between me and people who are particularly difficult when I know there's someone who, for whatever reason, we are maybe going to be have a bit of a conflict or it's going to be a difficult conversation. I imagine like plexiglass for me instead of the walnut shell, like whatever works for you to visualize. And then I get up and I wash my hands and I imagine mm. that I'm washing off that interaction and like letting that go down the drain. And then sometimes I will change my clothes too. It has like a powerful effect. I think I'm just telling our brain and body connection that's over now. We're putting that aside and we are moving into a different, yes. different part of the day. Yes. Yes. And these are like, these are things that we do anyways, but I think I wonder is if the difference is doing them with the intention and the mm-hmm. mindfulness. You're like in, I'm in my closet taking off the stuff going, huh? Okay. Now this is done. We're, we're done with this. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to wash your hands anyways, but now you're like, that was an uncomfortable situation and we're just going to, you know, get that off of us. Thank you. Down the drain you go. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like present moment awareness meditation, but it's just like in a small pause. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily having to sit down for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also just do feel like I need to be like, also, I also clarify there are situations that I need therapy after. And of course, we're going to have interactions at work and at home where there's you need more support than mm-hmm. what we're seeing. But these are tools that, that have allowed us to sustain, feel really joyful, feel really moved, connected in our lives. Um, so today we talked about our backbone work stories and some examples of how we move through life on a day-to-day basis now and maybe some of our worst times at work um between Matt and I Ashley and I are throwing an amazing workshop one in Toronto on February 26th one in beautiful tiny little town of Kincardine where Ashley and I went to high school 
on March the 5th. The, these workshops, the two of them are different in that the settings are going to be different. The information is going to be the same. In Toronto, you can expect a little bit more of a bougie atmosphere, but really cozy and comfortable still. Like not bougie as in you're not welcome, but like come and feel like you're going to be taken care of. There's food, there's going to be alcoholic beverages, everything is included in the ticket price. Um, it's lunch and there's options for vegans and all the stuff, vegetarians and don't have to worry about that. It's at a beautiful, cute little place called Praise around Bloor and Ossington. And in the workshop, you are going to learn these practical tools that you can use during your day at work or at home to decrease burnout and help you more understand your stress cycle. The magic here is you coming and learning the different theories and then creating your own tools that are going to work for you. It's not about copying what Ashley and I do in our day. It's about having three hours where you feel safe and you are learning and you're fueled up with delicious theories and principles that we've learned about and put to the test. And then we're going to workshop what is best for you so that you have a blueprint leaving the workshop of like, oh, this is how I'm going to sustain, I can sustain the life that I'm living now. You know, maybe there's no changes in your future for your life. Just creating more space and capacity in it. And then King Carden, it's at a yoga studio, so it's, there's going to be a touch more movement, um, but only in the fact that like we'll be laying down on our backs. Um, that's that's really it. Um, every all the other tool, all the other pieces are going to be the same. The information is going to be the same, and there's coffee and pastries served there. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you. We really are loved. You're appreciated. Yeah. You are. The end.